word of the Lord from Micah 3 through 5. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. It's really good to see you and happy Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, which is uh, a four Sunday season leading up to Christmas. And so if Advent is new to you, which I'm sure it is to many of you, the word Advent simply means uh, arrival or a, a, a coming or an appearing. And it reflects the season where in the Old Testament, Israel was longing for their Messiah to come. Israel suffered under unjust kings and ungodly prophets and priests. They were sent into exile over and over. And yet, despite this, God repeatedly, through the prophets, would proclaim a message of mercy and hope. And so after centuries of injustice and exile and God's silence, a Messiah would come. Heaven and earth would, would meet in the new Jerusalem and all of the, the world's wrongs would be set right. And so we celebrate Advent today because we are looking forward to a second Advent or the second coming of Christ. We look around our world and we see injustice and brokenness and the need for Christ to appear again. 
And so just as God's promises were partially fulfilled in his first coming, now we're looking forward to them being fully fulfilled in his second coming. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the minor prophets of the Old Testament and considering what they teach us about longing and justice and our need for a righteous Messiah. And the traditional message of Christmas sort of goes like this, that Jesus was was born in a manger. He came to the world to, to save us from our sins, to, that we might receive forgiveness of sins, and that we might go to heaven when we die. And that is all true, and that's the gospel. And we say yes and amen to that. But it's also true that the message of Christmas is that God sent his own son into a broken and unjust and corrupt world that was desperately in need of salvation. And so God is restoring the entire world to himself through Jesus, and this begins with the birth of Christ. And so starting today, we're looking at uh, Micah 3 through 5 and some other passages. And Micah, we're also going to be looking at Zechariah, Hosea, and Joel. If you've never done a series in the Minor Prophets, I hope you're as excited as I am. The Minor Prophets are kind of like the, the indie rock guys. Oh, sorry. There we go. I'm not used to this microphone. Is that on now? All right, we'll keep this in the front. So I had to sit down today. I've been fighting off a sinus infection for a couple weeks. This is like day six of being unable to stand up for more than a couple minutes. Uh, Joseph, my 13-year-old, said if I fall over, he would take uh, things over and just finish up the service for us. In his words, the show must go on. So <laughs> appreciate that, buddy. Um, but the, the minor prophets are the, the obscure but underrated uh, prophets of the Old Testament. Twelve prophets whose message was one of both judgment and hope. And their, their words are constantly reminding us of our need for this righteous Messiah. And so it's a, a simple message uh, for today, in part because I've only got like 20 minutes in me. Uh, but the outline is, is this, God's heart for justice the cycle of judgment and renewal, and then third, our coming righteous king. So God's heart for justice, the cycle of judgment and renewal, and then our coming righteous king. So we'll start uh, with Micah 3 uh, in verse 1. And God rebukes Israel's leaders through the prophet Micah. He says, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Now, why is God's rebuke so strong for these leaders? This comes in a moment where Israel is in a low point. King Ahab this is about 720 years before the birth of Christ, and King Ahab uh, has led Israel into a time where they're extremely wealthy, but also extremely corrupt. There is injustice throughout the land. And so in the book of Micah, he is consistently rebuking the Jewish leaders. In the second chapter, he says that the, the leaders have been coveting and stealing land from the poor. In chapter 6, he says that the wealthy are using unequal scales and balances to rob the poor when they're paying in coins. We also see, though, in chapter 6 that the wealthy are still bringing their offerings before God in the temple, thinking that all their sins will be forgiven. And the priests are accepting these sacrifices and promising forgiveness. The local judges are turning away from the injustices, and the false prophets are, are proclaiming peace as long as they have 
something to eat. And so over and over, Israel and the Old Testament are committing these two great sins, idolatry and neglect of the poor and vulnerable. And somebody might say, well, how could you put neglect of the poor alongside idolatry as Israel's great sin? But let's remember God's heart for the poor and how it works out in his commandments. Psalm 146 says of God, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Deuteronomy 10 makes the connection between God's character and the way his people should act. For the Lord your God shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And one of my favorite things is that God's laws have actually four different categories that are meant to support the flourishing of the poor and needy. The biblical scholar Craig Blomberg uh, points these out. The first is the Shemitah law of Deuteronomy 15, which commands the canceling of debts every seven years. And this would eliminate uh, long-term burdensome debt and thus decrease poverty in the land. Second, there were gleaning laws in Leviticus 19 that land and landowners couldn't gather grain to the edges of their property, but they were le- to leave that for the poor and needy. There were laws of tithing that supported the poor Because every third year, the tithes were to be distributed to the poor and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants. And then lastly, the year of Jubilee meant the canceling of debts. But it was after every seven years, the seventh seven year was called the year of Jubilee. So in addition to canceling debts, they also set free all the slaves and all the land was returned to the owners, uh, the original tribe owners. And so this would totally eradicate long-term poverty as well as generational wealth. According to Pastor Tim Keller, justice is simply care for the vulnerable. And God's concern for justice permeated every part of Israel's life. And so when I say the word justice, you might think of a lot of different things. You might think this is some kind of like code word for political involvement or some new edgy ministry that we're taking up, and it's, and it's not. But I want you rather to think about how you have experienced injustice or perhaps where you see injustice in your own community or in your own world. Perhaps think, too, of where you are in need of healing or restoration. Maybe for you, it's not only the injustice that you're longing for Christ to come and set right, but it's some other form of brokenness in the world. Maybe, like me, it's it's your own body that's crumbling and falling apart, and you're longing for the healing that only Christ can bring. But how does God respond to all the injustice and oppression Within God's own people, that's the second thing, the cycle of judgment and renewal. The book of Micah actually starts like this in chapter 1. Look, the Lord is coming down from his dwelling place. He's coming and the valleys are splitting before him because of the sins of the people of Israel. And so Micah becomes God's chosen spokesman. It says in verse 8 of our passage, But as for me, I'm filled with power and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And with justice and might, I'm declaring to Jacob his sin and his transgression. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit uh, because I'm not feeling too well, if you can't tell. All right. So the cycle of judgment and renewal 
uh, we see again in chapter 3 where the judgment comes down and he says, night will come over you and visions, or without visions and darkness within, without divination. But then the hope comes in chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains and it will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and he will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. And so before, as Jerusalem is constantly going out from the promised land to seek the idols of all the other lands, now Jerusalem, as well as all nations, are coming to the one true God to worship him. And the question is, how does this happen? How does, does God make this happen? Does Israel finally get their act together? And, and the answer is, of course, no, that God brings salvation in an unexpected way. And we see that in the third thing, our coming righteous king. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until a time comes while she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name, the Lord of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And so God knew that we needed a Messiah from outside of ourselves. He knew that we needed divine intervention, not just a spiritual savior, but a king who would come and set the whole earth right. And this is Jesus, the promised one, out of Bethlehem, one of the smallest towns in Judah, the smallest of the tribes, a Messiah came forth. According to Micah, this was from before the beginning of time that this Messiah existed, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but now he comes down to earth to take on flesh, to set the captives free. And so we're going to be looking at a number of themes related to justice over the next few weeks. I'm not going to get into all of them today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few carefully. But we receive this word out of Micah chapter 6. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so there are many dynamics that we're going to explore here, but for this first week, the message is simply this from the prophet Micah. Into a world of brokenness and injustice, the long-expected Jesus has arrived. In the words of Micah 5, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of his God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who has not left us to our own desires and our own abilities because we could never earn salvation on our own. But instead, you have come and made a way for us by sending your Son. And so, Father God, we pray that you would even use us as instruments of justice in this world, that through your cycle of judgment and hope that you would come and set this world right. Lord, for all of us who are struggling in the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our bodies, the needs that we have in this life, Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. And Father, we need you so desperately. We pray that you would strengthen us and sustain us by your Spirit. Draw us together as a people who are in need and in need 
of a righteous coming Messiah. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.